Hello and welcome. It's Cats, Cats, Cats on This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. And I'm your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening and no one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Lossis, professor of biology at Washington University in St. Louis. I don't know why he's come on the show, but I'm excited to have him. He's a smart guy, fun to talk to, and he knows a lot about cats. He's the author of The Cat's Meow, How Cats Evolve from the Savannah to your sofa and we're here to talk about the cat's meow so let's meow right into it Jonathan, you know I'm a cat person. I have a little black cat named Tomato, and he, I don't know, he's got a vocabulary of about 2,000 words. He makes sounds that I never thought could be possible with cats. Uh, Do cats in the wild make all kinds of noises as well? Well, they do make all kinds of noises. This is true. But the interesting thing is uh, something that I learned recently. I thought that cats meowed to each other to communicate because they certainly meow to us. And so I thought that they were just, you know, including us in their social network. But it turns out when you study cats living outside in in colonies where they interact a lot, they don't meow to each other. Not very much. The meow is not something they use to communicate. And so when they do that to us, that is something they've picked up in the last few thousand years during domestication. That's very quick. But when we think of how dogs went from looking like wolves to looking like a chihuahua, we know that these cycles can happen very quickly. Uh, so they really I have heard that, that cats really meow to talk to us. What are they trying to say to us? Well, now, that is the big question. And, um, you know, they are certainly communicating. And as you pointed out, they have different sounding meows. And it turns out that there is no uniform cat language where a meow of a certain sound always means I'm hungry or, you know, I want to get out of this room or whatever. But people who live with cats get to understand what they mean, that if you record a cat and in different contexts and then play it to the person who lives with the cat, they are pretty good at saying, oh, uh, you know, I'm she's about to get fed or, or whatever. But if you play it to a random person, they have no idea what it means. Um, so people... People do get to understand what the cats mean, and it goes the other way around, that cats learn their owner's voice and respond to them when they don't respond to other people. So we like sleeping with our cats, snuggling with them at night, and if I call for my cat in a voice that mimics my girlfriend's tone, she goes, tomato, I have to say it like that for him to come to bed. So I don't think it's the word, it's the tone of voice that he's picking up on. But my cat's not food motivated. Like, he doesn't really love to eat. And yet he's meowing at us all the time. I think it's just for attention, really. I think it's for petting, attention, that kind of thing. You know, our cats do that, too. I think that's certainly one of the reasons they meow. The cats have, they like to be around us. Many of them do. They want attention. And so, yes, often when they're meowing, they want your attention for one reason or another. And just to be cuddled or petted is one of those reasons. All right, well, let's let's go a little bigger because I've always found this uh, this sort of layman thing that people say, you've studied this, so it may be more, uh, you may know this more intimately or may, I might be wrong here, but this idea that cats domesticated themselves, is there truth to that statement? 
Well, it's, you know, it's a complicated question. It means it, it depends on what you mean. Uh, they did here. Here is the standardly accepted scenario that is probably true. When people first settled down into villages and started raising crops, you know, developed agriculture in the in the area called the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East, you know, about uh, five to ten thousand years ago, they started growing crops and they started storing those crops for lean times. Well, th this occurred in the range of a species called the African wildcat. And if you saw an African wildcat, you would say, that's a cool looking cat. But you wouldn't say that's something very different. It, it looked very much like a domestic cat. Would I want to pet an African wildcat? Or if I valued my fingers, maybe not. You know, it depends on the African wildcat, but they can be very tame towards people. I mean, particularly if you raise them as kittens, they're very, they're said to make very good pets. Not that I'm encouraging that, but probably the reason that that species was domesticated was a combination. It was in the right place at the right time, but also it was predisposed to uh, be friendly to people, more friendly than other, other species. And so anyway, the people start storing the grain there. The grain attracts rodents, rats and mice. So some of the cats say, hey, there's a food source here. I will, you know, I'll hang around the village. These the cats probably were a little, you know, to anthropomorphize, a little bolder or more willing to take risks. They would hang around the people to get the rodents. Um, the people in turn saw the advantage of that. So they were nice to the cats. Maybe they put out a little food for them or let them come inside when it was cold or, or wet out. And so uh, gradually the, the cats that were most willing to be around the people got the advantages of more food and safe places to stay. And so they evolved to be friendlier towards cats. And in turn, we saw the value and were nicer to them. And so it was this back and forth. But the idea that they domesticated themselves is that the first step was the cats. They came around the villages. The, the ones that were saw the advantage of eating the rodents, they hung around us and then things moved from there. And the same can't be said for dogs. Uh, the ancestors of dogs, wolves or whatever, didn't just hang around people. Were they? Was there some sort of selection process that humans got involved with early on? Well, th there's a lot of debate about this, but I think the the dominant idea today is it was very similar that uh, wolves started hanging around villages, probably scavenging from garbage pits and and uh, getting food that way instead of preying on rodents. But the same thing, some of those wolves were willing to be near people because there was food available, and eventually the ones the ones that were most willing to be around the people. Uh, did the best. They got the most food. They had the most uh, cubs, puppies, whatever wolf uh, baby is called. And so those traits evolved. And again, the idea is that perhaps people saw advantages of having them around. Um, perhaps it's been suggested that that wolves can be very territorial. And so if they started uh, defending the area around a village against other animals or even against people, uh, the people living there could see an advantage. The, the idea is that probably was in a very similar scenario to, to cats. Well, it's often said that do the way dogs became domesticated and the way cats uh, became domesticated were very different. At least that's what I heard. I'm not an expert. And you're saying that that may well not be the case. Uh, yes, there, there have been a bunch of ideas, particularly about dog wolves to dogs. And you know, one idea is that people just wanted pets, that they, they found cubs or they stole them from the mothers. Uh, I don't think that there's much evidence or actually reason to believe that, but, you know, it's not impossible. Um, but I, I think the tide has moved towards this idea that the dogs also started hanging around. And then we then we 
actively worked with them more and turned them into what they are today. I don't know what that says about us as a species, that we just want pets, that we like bred and domesticated animals just so they would love us because we're really deeply lonely. Do you, do you know what I'm saying here? I, I hear what you're saying. It is true. The people, this is not a a something that's just one one you know group of people. This is something that has occurred throughout the world of peoples and, you know, all continents and so on. There, I think you're right that it is something about us. Well, I live in uh, Manhattan and I know, that, I know that if I let my cat out of my apartment for just 35 seconds, he wouldn't make it out there. Even the Manhattan rats carry shanks, I think. And they're like one rat <laughs> in the city could take out my, my very um, dainty cat. But I often think like I trapped this animal in my house to love me. What does that say about me? If you look at it that way, not very good things. Well, I mean, but look at what what where did tomato come from? You probably took him or her from a, a life that was a little dicey and, and gave gave her or him a, a, a great life. I did. I res he's a rescue. And let me ask you a question. Who rescued who? No, I'm not going to ask you that. That's the stupidest thing. So, David, I have to ask you. How did a black cat end up with the name Tomato? Well, I wanted to name him Barbara, uh, a male Barbara. I thought that's a very good uh, androgynous name. But my girlfriend just liked the name Tomato, so she just chose it, um, which I think is very funny because you would associate it with an orange or red cat. But no, he's he's a uh, ghost black or night black or whatever you want to call it. Interesting. Well, I have to say kudos to you for adopting a black cat because they can be they have trouble getting adopted. There are people who just this ancient idea that black cats are something bad about them. And uh, my sister does that as well, intentionally gets black cats and um, good on you. He's so affectionate. He's so sweet. And I'll tell you how we picked him. I had every intention of getting a little bit of an older cat because it was my first one. And I don't know, I didn't want the uh, the craziness of a kitten. But when we went to the shelter and saw this beautiful old lady cat who was six or seven, she was just standoffish. She didn't like us very much. But when we walked by one of the stalls, and this was at the San Francisco SPCA, I think a couple of old ladies who didn't have families donated their fortunes to this SPCA. This thing is nicer than the Ritz-Carlton. So I walk by <laughs> this stall that is sort of nicer than my bedroom, and this little mangy black cat who wasn't quite a kitten, maybe seven, eight, nine months old, I think the younger ones get adopted more quickly, just started meowing at us like crazy and following us every time we walked by. And so we thought, well, we got to meet him. And when we went in there, he was just so funny. He was jumping in our laps. He was meowing at us and he didn't want treats. It's the same thing now. He didn't love food. Uh, and so we just thought, well, this is our cat. He, I know it's the cliche is he chose us. But yeah, we uh, we selected for personality, and I think that's what people should do in shelters. Don't go based on looks or based on what you think you want. Meet a few cats, and the one that stands out and picks you, uh, I think, is the kitten to choose. So that's how we chose a black cat. Uh, we didn't select for looks. Got it. Well, I agree entirely about that strategy. So let's dig a little bit deeper into this book, How Cats Evolved from uh, the Savannah to Your Sofa. So Early humans had kind of farms going on, storing grains. There were rodents. It was sort of the right place at the right time, the right temperament for that kind of thing. And they started hanging around more. But then they started evolving uh, to be more suited to that environment. What changes did we start to see in cats as the generations went on as they hung around people? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And one of the interesting differences between dogs and cats is that dogs are so different from wolves in so many ways, uh, in their behavior, in their anatomy, and so on. The domestic cat is not actually very different from the African wildcat. As I mentioned before, an African wildcat, you could mistake it for a domestic cat. 
there are some behavioral differences. Uh, one of them we've talked about already, the fact that they will they will meow to us. They 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 meow to us to communicate is, is certainly one change. Uh, and the other major change is actually very cool. Uh, cats are thought of as being aloof, of being loners. And in fact, most species of wild cats, of felines, so there are about 43 species in the wild today. Most of them live most of their lives in a solitary way, except when they come come together to mate when the female raises the young. Um, the one exception, of course, is the African lion, or actually the lion, because there are lions in Asia too. They live in prides, where they have these groups that live together that are very interactive, very friendly social animals. And um, presumably, prides have evolved in the lion because they live in a place with ample food. And so there are advantages to living together and working together. Well, if you think about what happened early on during domestication, what we were talking about in villages, again, there was a lot of food because of all the mice and rats eating the stored grain. And that attracted a lot of cats. And it turns out that they evolved a social structure very similar to lions, that cats, when they're living together, form groups that are very similar to lion prides. Just like lion prides, uh, they are based on related females because when a female has has kittens or in the case of lions, cubs, the females stay with their mothers. And so they grow up. And so they're living with, with sisters and aunts and, and so on. And they're very social. And that's the same of, of, of domestic cats living in colonies. They form social groups. They're very friendly to each other. They nurse each other's young. They even There are even reports of domestic cats helping deliver birth of another, one female helping another to deliver, being a, a midwife, essentially. Wow. So the point is that in certain circumstances, domestic cats can be extremely friendly and social to each other, unlike just about every other cat except the lion. And so that is the other major change that occurred uh, during domestication, and that probably predisposed them to be friendly to us as well. well. So you're saying feral cat colonies, when they're on their own, may well function similar to a lion pride, or is it when cats are with humans specifically? No, no, this is when they're on their own. You think about in many places, certainly in New York City and basically every city around the world these days, there are large populations of unowned outdoor cats. And they're often fed by kind-hearted people who put out a lot of food for them. And so you get these big groups of cats living in one place, dozens. And they form, they will, if there's a lot of them, if there are a lot of cats together, it's not just one social group, there'll be sets of groups living in one place. And within each group, they're related females, because the, the male kittens leave when they grow up. They're related females that lie together, they groom each other. They're, you know, you just look at them and you say, those are friendly, loving cats to each other. And as I said, they, they nurse each other's young and they defend, they jointly defend their territory. And so they have evolved to have this social structure. Now, there will be multiple groups in one place often, and they're not at all friendly to each other. So they know who's who, and you know they're friendly to their, their group members, but not at all. They defend their space to the other ones. I've seen Andrew Lloyd Webber's documentary, Cat, so I know how this all functions. <laughs> yes, he, he did an excellent job there, a great study. Okay, let's get back into the book. Uh, when doing research for it, what was one of the most surprising things you stumbled on about the way cats function? Well, there were a lot of things. One was this this uh, realization that they don't meow to each other. I was I was just wrong about that. Uh, another interesting one is so I have two cats that we got as rescue cats. They were outdoor. They lived outdoors, and their mother was run over by a car when they were two weeks old. And someone knew that she had just had had kittens, and they went and found the kittens and hand raised them. Um, and then we got them when they were about four months old. 
these cats look nothing like each other. Um, they, and I've always been wondering, how could they come from the same litter? Well, now I know the answer that again, when cats live in big groups outside, females, when they're, when they're in their mating period, um, they will mate with many different males. And so it turns out that it's very common for litters of outdoor cats that live in groups and colonies. The, the members of the litter have different fathers, oh. the same mother, of course, but they have different fathers. And so that's almost surely the case with my two cats, Winston and Jane, and why they look different. And it turns out this is this is very common. And one of the interesting differences between um, lions and, and cats, they tell you they live in these similar prides, but in lions, people who've seen documentaries or seen The Lion King know that there are a couple of male lions that sort of possess the pride and they they keep other male lions away. And that's, of course, so they can do all the mating and, and father all the offspring. And and male lions, when different groups come together, have vicious fights where they often badly injure or kill each other. In domestic cats, it's not like that. Um, males do not try to control a group of females. And when, when a female is mating, a whole bunch of males will just congregate and they'll just hang around and take turns mating, basically. I could make any number of raunchy jokes now, but for you, I will not. I'm queuing you up, you know, I'm giving you a softball there. You know what, yeah, it was too easy, but that is interesting. So cats can be genetic half-siblings in a sense, coming from the same litter. Exactly, exactly, it's very common. But you were saying about all these males sort of teaming up uh, for mating, is there anything else that happens with that? Like, is there fights? They just line up and take turns. And, and um, I, I, you know, I've never seen it happen, so I shouldn't. <laughs> Be too explicit, but they, they, you know, they don't fight with each other. They just hang around. That's that sounds very. Um, here's a clean word: cooperative. That's what it sounds like. Um, so, do domestic cats get along with wild cats? Because I've heard that cats are both prey and predator animals. They've got instincts uh, to hunt down rodents, but then they've also got instincts that make them very kind of easy to spook. Uh, where they hide when they're scared, that sort of thing. So, in the wild, um, are their ancestors both predators and prey, uh, or are cats predators and prey? Is there truth to what I'm saying? I guess is my question. There is truth. Now, when we're talking about other species of felines, uh, other species will kill domestic cats. In fact, it is very common in the natural world that larger predators kill smaller ones. Wolves kill coyotes, which kill foxes. Lions kill leopards, which kill cheetahs. And it's basically uh, the, the bigger you are beats up on the smaller ones. I know an old lady who swallowed a fly is basically the way it works. They're, exactly. Uh, now, the interesting thing is that when a domestic cat runs into the, there, there are wild cats in much of the world, in Africa, Asia, and Europe. And in many cases, when they meet, um, they actually reproduce, and that they will just mate and have babies that are, you know, half wild cat, half domestic cat. And that that's actually a problem in some areas, at least some people think so, because the wild cat genome is being swamped by the, the genes of the domestic cat, and it, it's distinctive characteristics and, and entities is, is being melded together with domestic cats. Interesting. Does that mean that in the future, really scary looking cats could just be friendly towards us because of that? It does mean that, but it also means that instead of, uh, there's there's a, a cat called the Scottish wildcat, which looks like a, a little tiger of sorts, not orange, but a striped cat. But increasingly in Scotland, you go out into the wilds, if you're lucky enough to see one, it will be orange or have black and white spots because uh, it's got domestic cat genes in its, in its gene pool. 
Wow. And, and there's what? I, I don't actually know this number. I should have looked it up. A billion domestic cats out there or something high like that? That is the estimate. It's a very loose estimate, but you know there are a lot of them. And a billion is a reasonable, a reasonable guess. So anywhere where there's domestic cats and uh, nature cats, non-domestic cats, whatever you want to call them, and there's a possibility for crossbreeding, uh, it's kind of happening naturally, if you will? Yes, yes. With specifically with the species called the wildcat. That is that is not just any wildcat. It is a species, and it occurs in Asia, Africa, and Europe. And the domestic cat and wildcats, pretty much everywhere they come together, they will breed and reproduce. So, uh, why do you love cats? Would you describe yourself as a cat lover? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's my upraising. When I my father loved cats, and when I was five. We went to the local shelter here in St. Louis and we adopted a, a stray cat. And ever since, I've just been crazy about cats. And, you know, people ask me, why do some people love dogs and some people love cats? I think a lot of it is just what you learned when you're growing up. I was talking to my friend who's a comedian a couple of weeks ago about why you might love someone. And I just like, I couldn't give an answer. You know, it's just because you do. And I never liked cats until I owned one. And I really love my cat, but I, I just couldn't tell you why. It's, I think it's like that with people. Like the most compelling reason why you love something is not is kind of hard to articulate. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I was the other way around. I was never a dog person. We had a Dalmatian growing up that was not a nice dog. And the Dalmatian and I never got along. So I've never been a dog person. And the one of the cats we have recently, uh, Nelson, who is a pedigreed cat, he's a European Burmese. And it turns out he behaves, he's a very dog-like cat. Mm. I like to say he's a dog in cat's clothing. He, he, Every time you look at him, he starts purring. When you come home, he comes, run, runs up to you and looks for petting. He actually started bringing me toys just on his own, dropping them at my feet, and then I'd throw them and he'd run and get them. Fetch. Uh, entirely on his own. So he fetches. And I have to say, I kind of get it about dogs now. It's nice having living with an animal that clearly likes being around you. And so... Um, I'm still a cat person, but I've softened on dogs because I think I sort of have a, a semi-dog in my own house. Well, the reason I don't, well, first of all, my cat's very dog-like as well. He comes to the door, he bashes his head at me, he meows when we come home, he always wants pets, he's not that aggressive, he's very, like, I've never heard him growl, basically. Um, he just loves people, but he loves people on his own terms. You know, when he's not in the mood and you go to pet him, you're going to get a nip. Whereas a dog, I feel like is always there saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Uh, it's so nice when a cat loves you because you know, it's really making the decision to, it's not sort of bred to do that, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly true. And that's what many people like about cats. They feel they've earned it in some way. They've accomplished something by getting getting the affection from a cat. Whereas, like you say, with the dog, it's like, we're going to be like that. It's nothing about you. So the book's called The Cat's Meow, How Cats Evolve from the Savannah to Your Sofa. Where can people find it? Well, it's in. it should be in most bookstores. You can find it online. Um, it, it, hopefully it's everywhere. Yeah, wherever books are sold. Wherever fine books are sold, exactly. All right. Well, I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Lossis. I really do appreciate your time coming to chat with me and uh, going deep about cats in your book. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it, David. Great. Well, have a great day. You too.